Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to our podcast. Um, Jen, to start out today. Yes. How were you in high school? Were you a goody two-shoes? Were you a bad kid? How, what were you like? I, I, I guess I was kind of in the middle. I don't mm. know. I, I mean, I... Were you cool? I definitely... Did you think you were no, cool? No, I was not a cool kid. Not at all. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Still not a cool kid, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely caused my share of my own small-scale trouble, but I don't feel like I got in any large-scale trouble. Oh, um, what do you do to get in trouble? I want to hear this. I'm, is dad listening? No, I mean, dad listens. Dad's to probably it. listening. I mean, it, it's too late now. I mean, I'm in my 40s. What is he going to do? Like retroactively punish mm. me for sneaking out at night? You know. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, stuff like that. Like sneak out at night, and mm. but no, generally I was actually really good. I didn't drink in high school. I didn't you know, do anything. Like I, I was actually, I I felt like I was being rebellious, but I. You know, I mean, I, I did my own level of trauma. What about you? Hmm. That doesn't sound like any good dirt. I was hoping for something more. Nothing? No. Oh. No. I mean, we used to sneak out and go all the way to Santa Fe <gasps> frequently. Whoa. Which, which was, was like definitely a drive from the hometown. Yeah, and it was during <laughs> the, and I don't know, because you're so much younger than me, you may not remember this, but a lot of it was during the, like, construction on the hill. Hmm. And so we couldn't always get back. So we had to come up with some creative uh, reasons why we were late coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Because it was construction stoppage. Uh, But no, I mean, we would just go hang out. We didn't do anything big or bad. So Uh, what about you? Oh, I was definitely the cool kid. Um, Editor of the school paper, vice president of the debate team. Like you can't get much cooler than that. That is yeah. ultra cool. Um, right. No, <laughs> I was pretty happy. I, I enjoyed high school. And then of course, like our brothers were kind of, once they started getting in trouble, at least one of them, um, I feel like I didn't have any rules anymore. And that was kind of nice. <laughs> like right. there was a time when they were like, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? And I'm like, they're like, whatever, you're fine. Like, whatever. Like, are you going to come home alive? That is the question. <laughs> I don't know. I stopped asking the questions. Okay. Wow. Uh, I was long gone by then. So yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I missed um, out on that joy. Yeah. Well, today's interview starts out with a story of someone who was a goody two shoes, um, you know, early on in high school and then something completely changed her life. So let's, let's go to Here it. We go. Welcome, Erin Kiernan, to the show. Erin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Erin, you have such an amazing story that I'm excited to share, but let's start out by those who are not local to you or maybe even national, but those who might somehow not know who you are, what you do. Do you want to share kind of your current profession? Sure. So I work at a TV station in Des Moines, Iowa. It's WHO 13 News. It's the NBC affiliate in Des Moines, the capital city of Iowa. And I have been working here since 2005, and I anchor the 5, 6, and 10 o'clock newscasts. I also do um, some reporting, um, sort of just pet projects that I decide to take on. So most of it ends up being um, either investigative in nature or like long form feature stories. And uh, it's pretty fun, actually. 
Sounds fun. So this is like a really fun job, quite honestly. (laughs) So basically, you're a celebrity, at least least for those who know where Indiana is. I mean, Iowa. Wait, (laughs) wait, what? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But you have an amazing backstory, and I love that you're you're willing to share it for especially people who have been through similar things or might be going through it. Do you want to start? kind of at the beginning of your your youth and what happened when around when you were 16. Sure. So um, before I was 16, I only somewhat jokingly say that I was uh, the perfect child. <laughs> <laughs> All children are perfect to their right. parents at least, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually an only child and uh, my parents totally doted on me. I had a wonderful childhood, grew up in a small town in Northwest Nebraska, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I mean, just was always kind of a rule following conformist type of child, Um, was well behaved. I got good grades. I was involved in all the different extracurricular things. I was in church every week. Um, So pretty boring, I guess, by um, most anyone's standards. (laughs) But impressive. impressive. That's okay. Boring is good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And then things got really... Especially um, for parents. Yeah. I was very boring until I wasn't. <laughs> so when I was 16, a sophomore in high school, I got pregnant. And I really um, said... That must have been a, a, a shock, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Less boring to parents. Yeah. 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 How, how did that waves. conversation go? Well, um... I actually first disclosed it to uh, my older cousin. And when I disclosed it to her, my motivation in doing so was to try to get her to take me to get an abortion. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. And And was your older cousin in church with you when you told her? Or how did that that go? well, she was floored, first of all. She's seven years older than me. And then just sort of agog at the fact that I had even asked this of her and said, of course, yeah. I cannot and will not do that. And you have to tell your parents. Uh, so uh-huh. then I, I called my mom at work. You know, this is before we had cell phones. <laughs> And so well, I was on our over the phone. Yeah. So my mom was at work. Oh. I, I, well, I didn't tell her over, over the phone. I called her okay. and told her she needed yes. to come home. Okay. And I, I think she was hoping that it was something like I had crashed the car or, you know, who, who knows what, but yeah. if you were to ask her now, I think she would admit that she knew that it was something worse than that. And wow. so she got were you, home. How, were you showing? Like, how How did you discover it? Like, can you give any more background of that? Like, how did oh, you find out you're pregnant? Yeah, I just um, missed a period. Yeah. And then, so you knew fairly early. Yeah, very early. And then had um, done a pregnancy test and um, – yeah, knew, just knew. 
And so, did you have like a steady boyfriend that was part of this or not someone part of the story? Well, kind of. I, yeah, I, I was seeing him on the sly because um, I knew that he was someone my parents would not approve of. <laughs> oh, just and, to add a layer to the story there. Yeah, yeah. So he was a bad boy for sure, had that reputation in our high school. He was two years older than me, so he was a senior. And um, yeah, so all of this was just like dropping one bomb after another (laughs) to my mother. And her reaction was um, initially anger. Um, there was much yelling and screaming and I think some throwing of some items in the kitchen. Oh, wow. And did you, was your intention still at this point that you were going to terminate the pregnancy? Um, I don't think I was even thinking that far ahead at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just more... (laughs) I have to survive telling my parents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and so that and was sort of the your... scenario with my mom. And, and then your dad? Then um, she actually told my dad uh, because I could not, like, get a hold of myself to tell him. And yeah. He just started crying. Oh, yeah, and she she told she told him in front of you. Yeah, 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 and that's actually only the second time in my life I ever saw my dad cry. The first time was when our dog died. (laughs) Oh, so like he's just not a very. I mean, he's he's very loving. and affectionate, but not one to display emotion, whether it be like anger or grief or anything, just not a very emotive person that way. And so that was very, very hard. I can only imagine. Wow. So then where did the the conversation go? Um, I think next it was that someone needed to tell my grandma (laughs) who lived two houses down the street from us. My mom. One one tortured conversation after another. Yeah. Um, And that's my grandma, Susan, my mom's mom. And actually my dad is the one who went down to her house and told her um, sort of sparing both me and my mother. And you were, you were not present for that. She, I was not. Told her that. No. Yeah. And then from there, um, immediately following, it was just sort of practical things like my mom made a doctor's appointment for me with our family doctor. And, uh, when he came into, uh, the, um, the room. I mean, you know how it is in a, in a clinic, like a a clinic room. And he came in, um, to confirm what I already knew. And Mm. he had three pamphlets, 
one oh. uh, on abortion, one on adoption, and one on um, basically being a single parent. Wow. And wow. he handed these to me and started talking to me. And my mom jumped up and snatched these pamphlets out of his hand and started yelling at him. <laughs> Wow. That obviously I was not capable of making good choices. What was he doing? And he just took a hold of my mom by her shoulders and pushed her back down in her chair and said, this is Aaron's decision. Wow. Yeah. And... I was just, I don't know, I think I I was probably crying, but also my mouth, I'm sure, was hanging open that someone had the audacity to to do that to my mom. stand up, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And then after that, really, um, that's when I really was seriously, you know, contemplating each of those choices and really thinking about what each one meant, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the reality of it, not just a knee-jerk reaction to wanting this situation to go away. And uh, I mentioned being in church every week, and I do come from um, a family that uh, is uh, conservative, Christian, Um, if you know anything about denominations within the Christian faith, uh, we're assembly of God, which is, um, kind of holy roller, like (laughs) speaking in tongues and I'm guessing um, not, not very, um, pro choice. Uh, no, (laughs) very Uh, pro-life. Not as liberal, not as liberal as some. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. Very pro-life. So um, I, I don't want to say that that abortion was not an option, but the more I sort of sat with uh, those, um, just with those options and sort of played out in my mind how each of those would look and what the reality would be like and what it would be like for me after making each one of those choices, um, I decided that I was going to keep the pregnancy. And I really think I ended up deciding to choose adoption for my baby because I just felt so ill-equipped to parent at that point in my life. And, and and is your family kind of, are they urging you one way or the other? Like, is your mom expecting not to like really. help you raise I mean, a child? No. I, I knew, I knew absolutely without a doubt that my mom would not be in favor of me having an abortion, but she never said that I couldn't have an abortion. Uh, I think, frankly, my dad probably did want me to have an abortion because he didn't want to see me go through a pregnancy 
and he didn't want to see me give a child up for adoption. He didn't want to see me be a mom at 16. So I think if he were to give an honest answer, I think that's what it would be. But neither one of them shared those opinions with me. Mm -hmm. When you did settle on adoption, how did you go about moving forward or choosing the adopting parents for the child? So uh, there was a gal who was a number of years older than me, probably like five or six years older than me, who had um, gotten pregnant. I don't think she was in high school. She may have even been a year or two out of high school. I don't remember now. And uh, a local attorney in town had handled her adoption and placing her child. So my parents got in touch with him. Um, I mean, it's such a small town. Everyone knows everyone. And I, you know, everyone knew (laughs) that I was pregnant. (laughs) Um, So I don't think it was, you know, a huge shock um, when my parents contacted him. And I remember going to his office and he just had stacks of manila folders for me to look through. And uh, people who are familiar with uh, the open adoption process that exists in our world today know that people make these really slick, beautifully produced, elaborate um, bio books if they are um, hoping to be chosen by uh, a woman or a family who's gonna be placing their baby for adoption. But back then, you just got a manila folder and like a one-sheeter of information about- Did you even get a photo? And like one picture, like usually a family picture, Um, you know, like the JCPenney. Family, yeah, yeah, I know family picture, yeah, glamour <laughs> um, photo, yeah. yeah. And so I just started going through all of these folders. I would go into his office every couple of days and look through a new stack, and there was always just something not quite right about each family that I looked at, uh, or you know. Yeah. They Can I ask seem, what those things were? Like, like what would it, what would be something you'd be like, okay, no, not this family or. Uh, so, so there was way? a couple that uh, like looked really great on paper in terms of um, they were beautiful people. They were very successful people. Um, I think he was a pilot. She was um, an attorney and then it sort of became in my mind, well, who's actually going to be raising my baby? Cause mm. I don't think these people are ever really going to be around, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, or there was another family. They already had a number of children, um, biological children. And I liked that because I wanted my child to have siblings since I did not have siblings. And that was something that I always felt I had sort of missed out on. And 
that my dad said, did you notice how short they are? <laughs> and, oh, no. I know. And so which, you guys are tall, I take it? <laughs> That's well, a concern. Not, not crazy tall, but like, you know, I'm like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, and mm-hmm. um, these people, I mean, the dad, I think, was like 5'5", five, five, and the the mom was like maybe not even five feet tall. <laughs> Oh. I just was like, okay, that's Ouch, not really rejected I for being short. Oh no! <laughs> right? So things like that that I don't know just would come up, and I would be like, okay, they're going in the in the no pile or the maybe pile, and just I just didn't feel really connected to any of the profiles that I looked at. So. I, yeah. I was becoming a little anxious about that as yeah. time went on. You're progressing. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, what ended up happening is one evening, my high school English teacher called our house wanting to talk to my mom. And I was really perplexed by that because um, although I was in trouble in terms of being pregnant, I never got in trouble at school or got bad grades <laughs> or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, in English, you're okay. doing fine. <laughs> yeah, and your Engl- work. yeah, and English is like my strong suit. You know, it wasn't like a math class. <laughs> so I was right. just like, why is she wanting to talk to my mom? And then my mom ends up in tears on the phone. So I'm like, what is happening? Well, the reason she had called is that she had heard that I was – I'm making an adoption plan for this baby and her daughter and son-in-law were hoping to adopt. And so she wanted to know if I would be willing to look at their profile. And I was like, yeah, why not? You know, and it's it's a small town, right? Did you already know them? I did not know them, but they did not live in my hometown. They lived in Omaha. So, um, I did not know them at that point in time. So their profile ended up in the next pile that I went through. And this sounds uh, super cheesy and sort of like Hallmark movie-ish, but (laughs) truly I opened their folder and saw their family picture, the two of them and their daughter, who was three at the time. And I didn't even read any of the details about them. I just, like, I just knew that these were the people. And a few weeks later, they came to our house to meet me and my parents and that was it wow wow i mean that's going to be so comforting to have that feeling like yes this is this is right versus really questioning you know which way to go yeah it was huge um and they just I mean, I was very, very nervous. I remember waiting for them to come to the house. And they're the type of people that just immediately put me at ease, you know, kind, friendly, easy personalities to be around. Um, Their daughter, Annie, when they walked in the door, she looked me up and down and looked around and 
she said, where's the baby? (laughs) (laughs) And what did you say? (laughs) I said, well, in here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The baby isn't here yet. So anyway, yeah, we had the opportunity to get to know each other quite well. Um, How far were you at that point? Well, that was in May. So I was six months at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had three months to get to know each other. How did the birth go? Were they there? Well, that was the plan. Uh, and I, my parents contacted them uh, as soon as I went into the labor and we were at the hospital and they were getting ready to get in the car and make the eight-hour drive across Nebraska. Oh, eight hours. Yes. It's a long drive, yeah. Yeah. And across Nebraska. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Is nothing anyone wants to do, but they were preparing to do that. And then uh, Mike's dad died. So... Oh, um, no. their plans were upended and they ended up staying in Omaha to be with his mom and deal with planning oh, wow. a funeral. Um, yeah. I assume that that was sudden. That was unexpected. It was. Yeah, it was unexpected. So none of that went as any of us had hoped or planned, but really um, nothing did because uh, when David, my son, was born, he uh, ingested a significant amount of amniotic fluid and uh, was basically born with congenital pneumonia, so he was not breathing on his own. So he, yeah, so he was... um, taken by ambulance to a town about an hour and a half away, which was the nearest NICU because oh, wow. there isn't a NICU <laughs> in my hometown. So when you, did you give, when you gave birth, was, were you alone? Was your mom with you? Was my mom was with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then both, the, both the, my babies. parents were with me um, during my entire labor. And then my mom was in the delivery room with me. Got it. And then baby was whisked away, I take it, to by yeah. ambulance to go to another hospital. There was a little bit of time where he was uh, like in the nursery on oxygen, but like the pictures that we have of him in those first few moments of his life, like before the ambulance took him away. I mean, he was still like covered in dried blood and stuff because there was just such a panic when he wasn't breathing that like they didn't even adequately clean him off. (laughs) I mean, it was just chaos and terror. I just remember just thinking, I can't believe I've gone through all of this, that we've all gone through all of this, and now this baby's going to die. <laughs> yeah. Well. So, yeah, then um, then he was gone, um, 
And of course, I spent the night in the hospital. And then the next day, uh, we, me, my parents, <laughs> my English teacher and her husband, we yeah. all loaded up and drove to this neighboring town where he was in the NICU. And then I don't remember if it was within the next day or two that Mike and Kathy got there. It's all sort of a blur. But he was yeah. in the NICU for 10 days. Oh, well. And was the prognosis pretty scary or did it did it seem pretty better pretty quickly? Um, it's interesting. I don't know if either of you have ever like experienced anything like that or if you, you know, being in a NICU, my, but my daughter had I've been, pneumonia I've been in a NICU at birth. But... Yeah. My daughter had pneumonia at birth. So I definitely dealt with some of this, not the same causation, but definitely I, she was in the NICU for pneumonia. Yeah. So I had, I had a child born at 33 weeks and we were in the NICU for three weeks, but I, I don't think we ever really feared for her life. I think we felt like she was just early and growing. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't, um, the prognosis was not bleak, I wouldn't say, but like most doctors, you know, <laughs> the doctor he had wasn't like, oh, everything's going to be fine. You know, it's yeah. like they, they never want to say anything positive because they're so afraid of the liability of that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, but as you know, from being in a NICU, you see babies who are <laughs> literally clinging to life and some that are so tiny. Um, and of course, this was in 1990. I mean, you know, this is 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago. Um, so all of the science and um, medical advancements have been incredible since then. But um, you know, it's just scary, as you guys know, when you see this little tiny human being on a ventilator and right all these tubes, tubes sticking out and of wires. them. And, yeah. yeah. I was shocked the first time I saw her because they put an IV in her head, which I had never yes. seen. And apparently mm -hmm. with a baby that that's really, that's common. That's like a better vein, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah. It's really disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so baby's NICU, they make it. And then how do things transition from there? Do you go back to school and live your life? How, how do things go? Yeah. <laughs> so I recently did that storytellers project thing um, with the Des Moines Register. And um, the way I described it was I... Uh, Mike and Kathy and Annie, you know, went home with David and I went home and would sit in the bathtub sobbing, sit in my room sobbing, like just the grief was just sort of all-encompassing. Um, 
And did did you have anybody around you? And I know it's very different in that time frame as it is now, but did you have anybody who was, you know, addressing any mental health things or, or things like that for you? Or were you really, really on your own during that? Um, during that period of time, no. Um, I mean, my parents, you know, tried to console me and comfort me. But I think, you know, they were grieving too. And then literally within a couple of weeks, uh, volleyball two-a-days started. And (sighs) I went to volleyball practice and then school started. And I just tried to act like nothing had happened. Wow. Such a strange transition to go back to life is, you know, in quotes, normal. Very. Um, and as they, as things progress, you know, years go by, are, do you have a close relationship with them? Are you visiting them? Are you kind of just living your life and keeping tabs or how, how is that going with an, with the open arrangement? Yeah, so it's interesting. One of the things that was um, a barrier, if you will, to me uh, finding a family for my baby when I was pregnant was that I was really adamant about meeting people and basically interviewing them. (laughs) And back then, open adoption was a pretty new and rare and scary thing for people. And so most people were like, are you crazy? Uh, No. (laughs) Pass. Like, no, I'm just preparing myself for my future job. You just don't (laughs) understand. Exactly. (laughs) So um, what actually was in writing in our adoption agreement was that Uh, For the first year of David's life, um, every three months, they were supposed to send pictures and a letter. uh, And then like annually after he had turned a year old. So that's what's on paper. But what ended up happening was um, David was probably about six weeks old. And I came home from a volleyball tournament and there was a birthday card for me uh, taped to our front door because it was that weekend was my birthday. (laughs) And I opened it and it was a card from Kathy and she had just written in it that she was at her mom's house with the kids uh, and that they would love to see me if I was interested in that. And so that really began this very unorthodox, (laughs) completely open uh, Uh relationship uh, among all of us. So we just sort of became this weird, (laughs) big extended family. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, it has been awesome. I feel very, very lucky. Yeah. And how old is David now? So in August, he will turn 30. Wow. And 
You're still in touch, I assume. <laughs> we are. Yes. Um, so let's go to the next chapter of your life. So you go back to high school, you graduate, then you kind of look to career and next steps. How do how does that go? So yeah, I um went back to high school, went back to all the extracurricular things that I had been doing, continued to get straight A's with the exception of the calculus class that I took my senior year, which was just a bad <laughs> idea. That's <laughs> just a bad idea all around. I'm just going to exactly. say that right there. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just blame my guidance counselor for that misstep. <laughs> and um, yeah, I graduated. I I ended up going to college here in Des Moines. That's how I ended up in Des Moines. I, I came to a, a college here, a small private school called Drake University. Um, I, for all intents and purposes, uh, was just a quote unquote normal young person. Uh, and really never got the sort of mental health services that I should have gotten. Um, I mean, and are you kind of just like pushing it down and, or it's just like always there kind of right below the surface sort of would ebb and flow. Um, yeah. But yeah, I really just kind of threw myself into uh, work, if you will, schoolwork. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think sort of always trying to, uh, go back to like the perfect child thing. So it's all very performance based, you know, like, um, being a perfectionist and an overachiever. And so just reverting back to, those, those sorts of things yeah. almost as a coping mechanism. Wow. And are you open with kind of friends? And if you're dating, does it come up? Uh, it did with a couple of friends. Um, and then eventually with uh, the guy that I dated through most of college. And in fact, um, he was around... Uh, David and his whole family on uh, one occasion mm -hmm. uh, with me. Uh, but it, I mean, it definitely wasn't something that like everyone around me knew about. Yeah. Makes sense. Interesting. So you, you, you got through that. You went, I assume you, you, you kind of start to, transition back into, I mean, what many of us normally go through, right? You go through school, you move on with life, career, and you said you dated somebody, but I assume I'm going to, I'm going to make a wild assumption here. You eventually got, got married and started looking towards building your own family. Yeah. So thankfully I did yeah. not marry the guy that I dated in college. 
<laughs> I, with the way you said that, I kind of made an assumption. Yeah. Happened, but <laughs> sounds like he didn't work out. Next, yeah. Not saying he was a terrible person or anything, but I just right, think right. it's good that that just um, died its natural death. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, then I uh, just happened to get my first uh, job in television here in Des Moines. So um was here and actually worked at a couple of different TV stations and started dating uh, my now husband. And um, really neither one of us, like we had the talk about, you know, do you want to yeah. have kids? And how'd how it um, go? Um, good. I mean, he was sort of ambivalent about it, frankly, but I was... Mm you know, very clear, like, this is non-negotiable for me. I, hmm. I know that I want to have children. I want to be a mother. It's very important to me. Uh, so he yeah. knew that. But we were not the least bit interested in starting a family right away because we were both very career-oriented. Um, at that point in time, he was involved in politics. Um, yeah. I was doing the TV thing and sort of trying to climb the ladder uh, mm -hmm. at the station where I worked at that time. And, and how old were you at that, that time? So I was 28 when we got married. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then at and what point did you kind of shift towards from the career focus to rethinking like, how about now? Well, I started working here in 2005. So I switched TV stations in 2005. And um, I had a non-compete clause in my contract at my previous station. So it meant that I couldn't be on the air for a year. Uh -huh. And I think a lot of people assumed that that's when Michael and I would decide to have a baby. Oh, perfect, perfect timing. Yes. Right. right. In everyone else's mind, it seemed yes. that way. For yeah. me. And also it's just that easy, right? You just, mm. you just decide to get yes. pregnant and you just boom, decide you have to that do one it year it off. Happens. It's done. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, really for me, I, contrary to what everyone else was thinking, to me, that was like the worst idea in the world because I felt like I really needed to prove myself at, in this new job and prove to people that even though I wasn't going to be on the air, I was still working and contributing and, you know, team player and back to that, like, perfectionist. Well, also, by the, by the time you would get back on the air, you'd have a newborn, basically. Exactly, right. I mean, right. Yeah, so of that. not great timing. So anyway, I I continued working. Michael continued working, nose to the grindstone sort of thing. And then um, it was probably uh, like a year and a half after that. I remember it being around Christmas time uh, in like 2006 that, you know, we had had this big discussion and like, okay, it's time. I'm going to go off the pill and we just assumed that, you know, uh, that next, next month. month. All yeah, we're all naive when we start in this journey, aren't we? <laughs> so naive. And I think, you know, there was this built-in like, oh, Aaron's fertile friend. You know, she had sex with yeah. her boyfriend once mm -hmm. and got pregnant. So obviously yeah. this is not going to be a problem. 
and nothing happened. And, and I'm sorry, maybe that's like too much detail, but I don't know if we cover that. So was it like with when you were 16 and it was like one time and that's when it happened? Yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Right? <sighs> yeah. Right? So you're like, okay, off the pill like now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And so it will just happen. it to the month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and because we are planners and doers and we just assume that, okay, this is, you know, what we've decided. And so this is how it's going to go. And it didn't. And uh, right away, I was freaking out. And every, everyone I talked to from my general practitioner to the um, nurse practitioner that I saw at that point in time for my um, gynecological care, they're all like, calm down, you know, usually takes a lot longer than people think and give it a year. And I was thinking, a year? <laughs> a year? But that's that's how long it was before finally we got referred to a fertility clinic, started going through testing. And uh, at first, the doctor that we saw was um, laying all the blame on my husband. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, his, his guys are kind of lazy and <laughs> his count's kind of low. <laughs> And you're like, good. Okay. I'm glad it's him, not me. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. And so, okay, just tell us how to deal with it and we'll move on. Yeah. So we started with, um, as anybody who's been through uh, this sort of treatment knows, uh, like the, the least invasive, least expensive approach is trying artificial insemination. Oh, Um, yeah. 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 Or as my, um, friend Beth, our mutual friend Beth likes to call it the turkey baster. Yes. <laughs> we do like to call it that also. <laughs> That's what the doctors use, I assume. That's right, right. Technical <laughs> terminology. So we did four rounds of that with no success. And hmm. more, you know, more testing, more testing, and still kind of putting all the blame on Michael and then presenting us with, okay, well, you know, here's, here's what it means to move on to um, doing IVF. And we both were stroking out over the cost. Yes. And And I'm assuming insurance is not, is not helping on that. No, not at all. So I, but really it wasn't it wasn't like there was much debate about it like we knew we were going to move forward and do that but here again we were still like just so in denial and so naive so this particular clinic where we were at that point in time had this deal where it was like um it was either like a two for one or three for one kind of deal where if you paid this big chunk of money up front you were guaranteed i think it was three uh, IVFs. And I remember vividly Michael and I having this conversation when we left the clinic after being presented with like the various options that they had. And we were like, what dumbass would ever pay all that money up front 
when you only (laughs) need to do it one time, you know? I mean, we just thought, well, yeah, we'll only have to do it once and it'll work. Except it didn't. (laughs) And it didn't. Uh, So anyway, yeah, that, um, man, just that whole process is such a roller coaster because it's like highest of highs, lowest of lows. You know, you build up all of this anticipation and you're popping all the pills and shooting up all the every month too it's over and over and over again too you have to experience the same roller coaster every single yes and then you know they call and tell you you know the status of things of course you know like how many eggs did they retrieve and then how many fertilized and then you know like how many made to plasticist yes and um you know, then when you have that huge disappointment, either of things not working out somewhere along in that process, or, you know, you go in for a pregnancy test and it's negative, or, you know, you lose the pregnancy or whatever happens, people who've been through this know, uh, it's just so devastating. And for me, it really like threw me back into the kind of depression that I dealt with immediately following David's uh, placement with his family um, and just, you know, so acutely brought up like all of this stuff that I had never really dealt with. So I was in a really, really bad place for a long and time. Are, are you on air during all of this? Are you kind of like oh yeah together in front of the camera? Wow. Yeah. It was ridiculous. I mean, like I would be in the bathroom bawling. And And injecting yourself and Yes, yes, shooting up drugs in the bathroom at work, (laughs) you know. I I mean hormones for (laughs) IVA. Right. Different drugs, but still drugs. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, it was a crazy time. Wow. And did you start to seek and sorry, I'm gonna circle back around and please tell me to, to butt out on this front, but uh, um, if I need to, but did you start to seek some mental health help? Cause you said, you know, like it brought up a lot of those old issues. Were you, were you able to kind of start to address those things? Cause I know as we get closer to now, there are a lot of um, people are making a lot bigger focus on making sure you're taking care of your mental health during all of these cycles and things like that. Were you able to address yeah. that? I did. I had, um, some um, misses, if you will, in terms of trying to find uh, a therapist that I clicked with. And I always tell people when I'm advocating for everyone having a therapist (laughs) is that, you know, sometimes it's hard to find the right person and it might take some time. And I think that for me back then, it was just another thing that was just pissing me off, <laughs> just really frustrating me. Um, but once I did uh, find someone who was a good fit, it was absolutely a, a life-saving element during that time. So how long did it take 
And I'm gonna I'm gonna make a broad assumption here for all of our listeners till you got to a potential for success, to even where you had the hope of thinking there was gonna be success in this. Well, we were at um that first clinic for five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then this is one of those things um, that I I call a God thing where it's like something happens that's just sort of like serendipitous. And uh, it was that I was at a friend's baby shower and I had largely stopped going to all right. baby showers. Yeah. <laughs> I would say as many, many of good us for you for going. Exactly yeah. right. It's a good for you for going, but yeah, it's really common to avoid doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So this one I went to specifically because this girlfriend of mine had been through infertility treatments. I knew how much she and her husband had struggled. And I also knew that one of her uh, younger sisters uh, had been through the same thing. So the sister and I were chatting at the baby shower and probably drinking too much wine. And <laughs> so la 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 about infertility stuff. And um, she said to me, you guys have got to get over to Iowa City. And I was like, hmm. what are you talking about? She's there, like, you, yeah. need, you need to get over to the the fertility clinic at Iowa City. And I was like, how does that even work? Like in my mind, I'm thinking that's an hour, hour and a half drive away from Des Moines. How is that even feasible, you know, with all of this testing and monitoring and uh, how does that work? And she uh, told me that that is where they finally had um, success after having been at the same clinic that I had been at for so many years. And um, so I just was picking her brain about, you know, getting records transferred and, you know, getting in there and do you need a referral and, you know, all the hoops that you have to jump through. And so we ended up then um, getting in after a pretty significant wait. I think there was like a six-month wait um, to even be seen for like an initial appointment. Um, and then, you know, the other frustrating thing is even though they have all of your medical records and everything, I'm assuming this is, um, how it would work virtually anywhere. You know, these doctors, this team wants to do their own testing and assessment to and start all over from your back at square no one. What. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, you're you're hopeful and excited and like, okay, this has worked for other people, so hopefully it'll work for us. But then at the same time, you're like, ugh. <laughs> Again, yeah. Again. Um, and so we did um, one round of IVF there that was unsuccessful, tweaked some things with our protocol, and then the next one we did worked. Oh, wow. So Yay. in total, <laughs> I mean, it was like by the time our son, Michael Francis, was finally born, it was like nine years. 
from from like when I went off the pill to when we finally had a freaking baby. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. And nine years of ups, downs, every emotion possible. I'm sure, I'm sure, you you know, you kind of alluded to it, just also the feelings of like, I went, I was successful before. Why is it not successful this time? You know, and this time and this time and this time every single month, you know, it's hard fought in one. Yeah, I think particularly for people who are type A personalities uh, mm-hmm. and per- and suffer from perfectionism and um, are... I, I have no idea what you're talking about there. Really, right. No <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's So was very, your pregnancy okay, though? So did you go through my did you pregnancy have an like beautiful glowing wonderful or were there any you know no, issues that you had to deal with there No it was I had no morning sickness I had no oh. no issues I I um did not have gestational diabetes but like when I did that horrible initial testing you know where you have to <laughs> drink that bottle drink, of yeah. ugh, horrific stuff Um, My numbers were not great. And because, you know, by this point in time, I fit into this wonderful category of advanced maternal (laughs) age. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Yes. So they did have me, you know, test my blood sugar multiple times a day, every day, just to keep an eye on that. But I mean, I, I had no issues like heartburn was the worst thing that I had to deal with with that pregnancy. It was super easy. It was wonderful. I loved every second of it. And actually, that's the thing. Even when I was pregnant with David in high school, I was like, this is amazing. You know, (sighs) even though I didn't want to be pregnant, I, you know, especially once you can feel the baby moving and. Uh, Like back then you didn't get an ultrasound. So I didn't have any, you know, ultrasound pictures or anything like that. But um, it's just, it's a miracle. Yeah. Right. So how do you, how, how are you feeling now? Are you feeling your family is complete and you can be there to help others? I mean, we certainly feel that just telling your story is is one way that's helpful but how are you how are you feeling about things now well um i should also mention that um we also have a daughter so um by the time michael francis was coming on to i had like started pestering my husband like hey we have all those embryos <laughs> on ice like we got to start now this took yeah. a long time last time <laughs> and uh he was kind of like are you freaking nuts you know, after everything um, you've gone through yeah and i was like no i told you it was not going to be one and done for me i do not want an only child you know I make it sound like I had some miserable existence as an only (laughs) child. I did not. I had a utopic Mm. childhood. And like everyone in my family, from my parents to my grandparents, my cousins, everybody doted on me and spoiled me and whatever. But I just always really wanted 
siblings. And so this was a big deal to me as a mother. So I didn't exactly drag my husband kicking and screaming into having a second child, but he was, <laughs> again, like very, very ambivalent about it. He was fine mm-hmm. with, with one, but, um, anyway, well, and when, I'm sure. And, you know, not to put words in his mouth, but I'm sure he also watched, you know, the highs and lows of every single cycle for you too. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I see a lot of people who are like, I just don't want to go through the lows yeah. again. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there were also just practical concerns about like, uh, okay, you're 44 years old now. Um, and you know, a healthy person, but still, you know, um, yeah, it's not yeah. ideal childbearing, um, age. And that pregnancy was actually pretty miserable for me. I was super sick the whole Aww. time. Um, just really miserable. But then our daughter, Audrey was born, um, in May of 2018. So she just turned two. So we have a four and a half year old. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and do you have more embryos? Is there anything else? Is there another chapter of the story we should know? <laughs> um, yeah, we, so we always say if we were, um, even five years younger, we would probably have another one or try to have another one, but we're done. <laughs> we're done. Got we're it. old. We are old um, and feeling it every single day, how old we are. But two yeah, years will do feel... that as well. Yeah. Two years will do that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. They're exhausting. Um, but, you know, I think um, so people in our community, um, I don't want to say like everyone knew, but it was very common knowledge and I was very open about my experience um, as a teenager and having placed David for adoption and um, all of that. And um, that actually ended up coming out um, not by any grand plan on my part. Um, It was... Uh, when the Des Moines Register was doing uh, basically like a profile piece on my husband uh, when we were still kind of newlyweds and he had gotten elected to the Des Moines City Council and he was the youngest uh, person ever elected to the council. And so they were doing this profile piece on him and the reporter and photographer came to our house and doing this interview and um I was just sort of sitting by um, as Michael's doing this interview and, um, you know, they had asked me a couple of questions, but really in my mind, it was solely about him. And then the reporter says to me, well, um, Aaron, I talked to your mom and I was like, what? (laughs) Why did you call my mom? And then I'm thinking, how'd you even find my mom? You know, like, um, they don't live in the same town. We don't have the same last name, you know, whatever. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. You be in here. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I know. It just, I was caught completely flat footed. And then the reporter says to me, um, you know, oh, she talked about, you know, how you were the center of your parents' lives and, 
you know, how smart and talented and blah, 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 all these things that you were. But she did say that there were some bumps in high school. And I just looked across the dining room table at my husband and he's looking at me, shaking his head like, are you kidding me? And then he just said to me, it's up to you, you know, what you want to do here. And I just broke down crying and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to tell the story. So that whole part of my life story, if you will, had been in the newspaper um, immediately after that. Lots of different groups started reaching out to me, wanting me, you know, to come talk to their high school classes, come talk to at-risk youth, come, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Like, um, so I had already kind of taken on this activist role, if you will, with regard to that part of my story. And so then when I was pregnant with Michael Francis, a reporter from the same newspaper, not the same reporter, a different one, um, contacted me and said, hey, um, just feel like this is, you know, really um, cool, like next chapter in your life, blah, blah, blah. So can I come interview you? And um, I don't know if she knew coming into the interview, all the infertility stuff, but I took it as an opportunity to talk about that and be really open about it because I know how hungry I had been when I was walking that walk to hear about anybody else who was dealing with the same thing because you just feel so alone. So, yeah, I've been just very open, you know, running my mouth about it and being very open to answering people's questions and sharing our experience. And then um, also starting um, a support group here locally in central Iowa. Um, We haven't had any in-person meetings. It just exists online. Um, But I think... Timely. That's, that's good for right. now. You, you yeah, were able because, to transition very well into our current yes, day. Exactly. So, yeah, doing all of that kind of stuff is really important to me just because uh, I wish those sorts of things had existed when we were going through all of it. Well, you have no idea how much we appreciate that you have shared this with us because – your perspective is, I'll be very honest, I haven't talked to somebody who has been through both sides of that equation. And so it's, it's very, very unique to, to hear your, your thoughts and perspective on it. So we really appreciate that you, you came on and, and told us all about it. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I should also mention just as sort of a sidebar, which you can include or not, is that we did also pursue adoption. I. And that was a very eye-opening experience for me uh, because we went into it with me thinking that I was some sort of expert. 
(laughs) (laughs) And I found out very quickly that I knew very little, uh, particularly about like the current adoption world. And I think, and that's something that I've also continued to be um, involved in. I'm part of a group called Iowans for Adoption, and we um, do a bunch of different advocacy work. But I really feel like there's a lot of change and reform that needs to take place in the adoption world in this country. And Michael and I had some really, really um, frustrating, heartbreaking experiences on that front, trying to adopt. So, I mean, that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. That might be another episode. Yes, exactly. Right. We'll have to have you come back. We'll talk through that one too. So. Yeah. <laughs> the, te- uh, the teaser for the next, uh, next one. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Erin, for taking the time to share your story again. And everyone, again, can note that there is a, she's told it in multiple versions, but I feel like this is always a nice way to hear it again and kind of get to talk about, ask questions and tell more about it. But we really appreciate it. Uh, speaking of appreciating, we appreciate <laughs> all of our listeners who are out there who every time join us. Um, and especially we appreciate our team who makes us sound and look wonderful. Amanda and Tyler and of course Chris at Work at Bird Studios who does everything to even as I'm sitting here sounding like I'm gonna have a frog in my throat oh, uh, what you, you sound like you're tearing know, up what you guys don't know and didn't hear that he, I'm sure he cut was that I was coughing and choking I do not have COVID <laughs> but Chris does a great job of making us sound wonderful and we really appreciate it and thank you for all of you for listening and being with us. Mm-hmm.